1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Joseph Fung. He's the founder and CEO of Uvaro. Joseph, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm really looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show today. I think what you guys are doing at Uvaro is really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Sure. So grew up in the greater Toronto area. So, you know, Markham, Newmarket, and I think really, really, uh, you know, built my stomping grounds around Waterloo, went there for university and staged to, to build several companies.
1: So what did you take in university and why?
0: So <laughs> I studied computer engineering. And I mean, I'm building tech companies. So it it seems like that was an intentional path. But the why is a fun one. I, I picked it for all the wrong reasons. I was told okay. it was the hardest program to get into. And uh, being an, an arrogant teenager, uh, I said, wait, I'll chase that.
1: That's awesome. But like, did you, were you kind of programming or doing anything kind of tech related before even as like a hobby or even a little bit or, or not really at all?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I took uh, computer classes in high school, uh, but even that was almost accidental. Um, I, I didn't do anything really with uh computers until I guess it was grade 10 when I was in a business class and realized on day one that the, the class itself wasn't going to give me any value. And so left to the guidance office, said what else is open? And they said intro to computers. And so that's how I got into it.
1: Interesting. Okay. So was there like a defining moment or something that made you want to kind of stay in tech and and do a bunch of stuff in tech or does that kind of come later in your journey um i think
0: the uh the two things that stuck with me was when i realized through that computers class that um when you're building software when you're building apps uh, you know by and large if anything screws up it's your own fault you know you you're putting in the instructions yeah and I, i mean you've done a lot of design work you know that users use your tools your app in unexpected ways and if it breaks it means you didn't think about the edge cases. So that that sense of control and that sense of responsibility, I think was very compelling to me. And then in university, got a chance to work on some open source projects with people all over the world and realized, holy crap, I can do this from anywhere. And that was very galvanizing.
1: No, that's that's very cool. So you get out of university, walk us through your career, maybe some highs and lows along the way. Up until coming up with the idea and founding Uvaro,
0: sure. So I spent my university career um, I think giving my parents a lot of gray hairs. Uh, I took <laughs> i I know it's I'm, I'm one of those people who took eight years to finish my undergraduate degree. Um,
1: interesting it, not were, because were you it like, working doing that or or what made you take it for eight years? Well,
0: well, that was a thing. So, uh, Early on in my university career, I decided I wanted to try and get some international experience. So I took off to China and taught English in the middle of oh, my rad. degree. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Uh, loved it. Learned a ton. And as soon as I came back, I realized there's no point in waiting to do what I want to do. And I was running a startup. And the university I was at, the University of Waterloo, they've got this fine, fine policy that if you're in engineering, you're not allowed to study part-time. Uh, and Oh, well, interesting. I know. It's because they're so competitive. And... A student who's taking a part-time course load has an advantage, and so you only have the choice of doing a full-time course load. And if you do that while running a company, it's a miserable, painful thing. So, <laughs> as, yep. yeah, as you can imagine, I did a oh, yes. term of school while trying to run my business. Spent a year recovering. Wow. Did another term, from running my business. Did another term, and I, I only only graduated. I think because I had met uh, my girlfriend, who became my wife, told me she would not marry me if. I didn't graduate before her so uh i think that's what finally put me over but i was yeah on that entrepreneurial path well into the uh the university program interesting
1: okay so walk us through some of the companies because you've co-founded a bunch of stuff um, up until what you're doing today
0: absolutely so our, our first company we were building uh we were doing custom software development and always had that vision of productizing what we built. And we ended up building a web content management system. Okay, sure. So like WordPress before WordPress existed. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. We white labeled it, we would sell to advertising agencies, design agencies, and they would put their own name, their own logo on it and use it in their projects. Um, we launched a, uh, a hyper local uh, social network uh, with okay. a another company so it was a fun joint venture and and so both of those companies were bootstrapped Uh, we we sold one of them we lined up the other for sale and the deal fell apart literally hours before we were supposed to meet at the lawyer's offices oh wow why did it fall apart uh, so the the social networking company we were very focused on canadian neighborhoods and there was a big u.s competitor yeah Uh, A couple of individuals had licensed the U.S. technology to sell into Canada. And so we were always going head to head and they wanted to own their technology. So they approached us and said, hey, instead of us paying licensing fees to this U.S. company, how about we just buy your company and your tech? And we we thought that was a great idea. And we're literally packing file boxes, computers into the back of our car when they give us a call and say, hey, hey, Joseph, our financing has fallen through. We're not going to be there to sign the deal. Um, Yeah, that sucks because we'd already mentally checked out. We'd already boxed everything. And so we we ended up just shuttering that business because there was no um, no
1: motivation, no drive to keep it going. Interesting. Yeah, fair. It, that's that was probably a really hard call, but I, I get why you made the call you made.
0: Totally. Brutal. Brutal as stink. Uh, but definitely learned a lot from it.
1: Sure. So I'm curious then... What made you decide to kind of do it all over again and keep at it, because like i, I I've been there too, where you have something like that and you just feel so defeated. But then, you know, it might take days, weeks, months, whatever you You obviously picked yourself back up and decided to go after it again because you've done a bunch of other stuff, um founded other companies since then,
0: yeah, so you're right. It was really tough. and uh, if we reflect back on that time, we were in a, my wife and I had you know, both recently graduated. We were in really, really cheap apartments with, you know, parquet floors that don't stay down, um, exhausted long <laughs> days, you know, falling asleep on the couch cause you're trying to work. I took a couple of years uh, of a break. I said, I didn't want to do another bootstrap company. So I went and I worked with an NGO. I worked in a not-for-profit for a couple of years. Okay. Um, really cool the Center for International Governance Innovation. We worked on international governance research and I drove the, the digital strategy. So I got a chance to work with a couple of UN committees. I worked with the team when the G20 came to Toronto and the digital collaboration platforms that went with it. Um, I realized academia is so fascinating, but not at all where I wanted to work. So that's why I I went back into the entrepreneurial journey, but decided not to bootstrap anything and focus instead on different ways to fund and grow the company. And so launched a couple of venture backed startups. Uh, And those were, were very different rides, just as stressful, but definitely different types of stress.
1: Interesting. Okay. So how did you decide to actually come up with the idea for Uvaro? And what made you actually decide to start going for it again?
0: So the the actual idea behind Juvaro uh, actually stemmed from um, the immediately previous company Tribe HR. Uh, okay. So when I was at the the NGO, I I'd, I'd, again run a couple of companies. I've been working at an not for profit that has its own you know politics and personal dynamics, and I realized you know I have such firm beliefs in how to build a great workplace. How can I really push that into a product? And so we built an HR platform to give people more control over their HR records. The, the real core, yeah, the core idea was, what if your HR file felt less like a secret government file and more like your social media profile, something you control? Uh, great, great success with that. We sold that company to NetSuite. Uh, I stayed on for several years, but that desire to build you know, great places to work, help people be independent and autonomous and fulfilled, never really left me or our founding team. So after a couple of years in NetSuite, we left and, and took another kick at the can and really came to it from that perspective of how do we enable and build, how do we help enable people by building tools? And we started from a sales enablement perspective. So we've been helping salespeople grow and flourish because it is a tough segment. That group feels the pain the most, and we couldn't fully solve it with HR software, but we are able to solve it with some really cool tools and some amazing training.
1: Okay. so how did you come up with the idea for uvaro and what exactly is it
0: sure so um uvaro is a sales training boot camp it's a 12-week program where we help professionals get into tech companies by teaching them how to sell software Uh, and the part that's really interesting is unlike traditional post-secondary education we're not charging all that tuition up front most of our students uh financing We automatically finance over two years or over an income share agreement, where they don't actually have to pay anything till they land a new full-time role. Uh, so, super exciting. Uh, the real idea for you know where it came from, we were building tools to help make sales professionals more effective, uh, and had some really fun success. We were working with cool companies like you know Vidyard, Shopify, Zias, a ton of them. Sure. And with all of them, we saw the same problem. They were struggling to hire really effective sales reps and as a founder who's gone through that, that hiring process, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this too, Kevin, it really sucks when you see remarkable people who have so much potential, so much skill, and they just can't get their foot in the door. Yeah, And it it's terrible, it's painful. And we saw this time and time again. Uh, and so we went to our resellers who were all doing sales training, and we said, hey, you know, you sell right now, you sell your training to companies, you don't have a way to sell to individuals. Can we use some of your curriculum, your research, your thoughts to run a program for individuals before they get to a tech company? And they they all love the idea because we were were working with about 30 different sales training companies. And for them, this was a great way to get their message out, to help folks. And the idea of getting someone well-trained on selling software before they get to the software company was just really an idea whose whose time had come, uh, and then a global pandemic hit us, and everything took off like crazy.
1: Yeah, sure. Like you, like obviously, like I'm not trying to say that COVID is. A, there's nothing really good about COVID, but there's been like for you guys, like you guys were kind of at the right place at the right time for what you're doing, right? Because it's never been probably more important. And I think even after COVID, like so many people are going to need what you guys are selling because everything has been moving online for years and COVID just rapidly sped that up. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts around that?
0: Oh my goodness, a hundred percent. And I think the real, the part that's so satisfying is that it's not really about our success story. It is really about those students. We've had people who have been hammered by the pandemic. They were, we've had sure. bartenders, we've had pastors, we've had people who were selling solar door to door. We've had you know, people who are coming out of these roles and in these industries who are just being crushed. And, you know, when, without a program like ours, they're, they're forced to you know, sit at home. Hopefully things open up back up, you know, it's like that, that waiting game. And we see people transforming their careers and, and their lives every single day. And, and wow, it's so rewarding to be able to, to play a small part of that.
1: No, that's that's very cool. So walk us through, like applying to getting accepted to the program. And then what happens when I'm done?
0: Totally. So the the application process, the program, all of it is entirely online. Um, Okay. The vast, vast majority of our students are here in North America. So Canada, US, but it's everywhere, from the southern tip of Florida to Winnipeg to you know Vancouver to New York City. Very uh, cool. It, it is so much fun. The, the diversity in our classes is a blast. Uh, but the application starts with a, an online form. It's you know on our website, a big red apply button. Uh, we get about you know two thousand people a month who who start that wow. form. I know it, it's it's a real real indicator that the uh, the industry is going through huge growth, but that the need is really there. After a conversation with our admissions team, uh, going through the requirements, the load, a a lot of folks don't internalize what it means to participate in a program like this. It's it is intense. It's two hours a day, five days a week for 12 weeks. That's a lot of time. Uh, We we run our online classes. We start a new one every month and they spend time in the class building those sales skills, but also the the interview and the career coaching skills, because it's funny. Sales. People have ideas of sales and they think about pushing a product. They think about, uh, you think about Mad Men, you think about Wolf of Wall Street. And sure. yeah, selling technology is not at all like that. It's it's like uncovering problems and and matching your solution to a problem. And we spend a lot of time helping our classes match their personal motivations to the types of problems and solutions different companies sell. Um, to give you, give you an example, uh, I mentioned we we had a one of our our students was a pastor twenty years as a pastor. Wow! Uh, I know you, but if you think about building that skill set of talking to people, getting to know them, sure. and, and covering pains, that's that's what selling is. And when he realized he wanted to you know, help businesses, people, employees also feel fulfilled and do things they couldn't do before, he actually landed a role with a a security. And a requirements management company, so a company that you know sells software to help their customers manage their own sales processes. and on the one hand, you think, "Wow, oh, that's very far from what a you know pastor would be doing, but on the other hand, it's still digging into problems, humanizing it, and actually solving them. and he came to us a few weeks into the program and told us he'd never felt more human and interesting. It is so rewarding, and that's what selling technology is like. And do we spend a lot of time on that human element, that personal journey? And uh, our classes end up building these really tight knit networks. Uh, and the reality is that helps them later. That helps them with jobs, with roles, with selling in the future. So that network building is a huge part of it.
1: Sure. No. Totally. Well, I, and you could tell me if you don't you disagree, but realistically, I think a network is arguably the most important thing or at least in the top three maybe top five things that you can have right
0: oh, absolutely and we see it right now our 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 classes are referring each other in to new roles so it helps them get their foot in the door they see sure. it in, in selling they see it in understanding a space uh i've seen grads you know reach out to other grads saying hey i need to understand your industry better can i can i you know buy buy you a virtual coffee and, and pick your brain and cool. Yeah, that's safe space, a safe space to learn, a safe place to fail. It's it, it feels great to to offer that, but it's also
1: so cool to watch. Sure. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. That's that's really cool. S- but I'm curious, so what do I need? Do I need any previous education to apply and and what are you looking for in the people you actually accept into the program?
0: Yeah, great that is a great question. A lot of people come to us thinking, hey, do I need to know technology already? Do I have to be a salesperson already? And the answer is no to both of those. Um, The reality is selling skills are a a learnable skill. Uh, So yes, if someone has customer facing experience, they've been a bartender, they've been in sales in a different industry, those are all helpful. You'll, You'll learn the material faster. It is an advantage. The requirements, the things we're looking for are more about the ability, the opportunity to learn, Uh, So things like, are you comfortable or are you open to the idea of getting outside your comfort zone? You know, are you, do you recognize the, the level of professionalism, the attention to details that are necessary to succeed? Uh, And so our, our intake process, our selection process, we cover things like one of the interviews happens on zoom. So you get a chance to try the technology and know what it's like to be on a video call. Uh, We do a personality profile, uh, not because that you know gets you in or gets you out but gives you a chance to use technology leverage that in the class as well as in the the actual interview process and then we spend a lot of time talking about what a selling role is like because a lot of people will come in saying hey you know i want to do this i want to change my my uh my career or change my life circumstances but they don't necessarily know what a sales role is like so we spend a lot of time trying to educate and inform uh, because it's really important. People are making an informed decision when they participate. And through all of those steps, we we only end up enrolling uh, and accepting uh, about 5% of our applicants.
1: Interesting. Sure. No, th- that makes, makes some sense. So what types of stuff do you teach people and do you tailor the program a little bit? I, I get like you have a set curriculum that you, you need to cover, but do you tailor it a little bit to the person based on their background or everybody covers basically the same stuff?
0: Yeah, so the core curriculum, the core content is the same for the whole class. And so we're covering everything from cold calling and objection handling to live demos and how you use technology like your, your CRM and your web conferencing and using video and selling. Where that tailoring really happens is in the projects, So as an example, uh, one of the, the capstone projects is a demo. It's a disco demo, it's a live presentation, super challenging, but they get to pick their product. And one of the things we coach them through is not just to pick a product they're familiar with, but let's actually help you pick a product whose existing business goes to market in a way that suits you best. So if you're the kind of person who really thrives in being a specialist in a very defined function well, let's pick a more mature company. You know, maybe something like a Netsuite, uh, oh, where, yeah, exactly. With a selling motion, you get very specialized. Or if you thrive in being a generalist, you know, figuring out problems when the the definition is really vague. Well, let's pick a small or mid market product like a Vidyard or or even a Slack, where you'll have to do the first call and the contract signing. Um, And then that, and the career coaching is heavily individualized. So yeah, we see people step into more junior SDR roles because they want that development path. And then we see people coming out and stepping into more established account executive roles because that's a better path for them. Uh, And so each individual journey is different, even though we do cover the fundamentals to make sure everyone has a strong foundation.
1: Got you. Okay. No, that's, that's very cool. So I, I complete the 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. What happens now?
0: So, uh, for each of our our students, their journey into their next career is a little bit different, um, and we we do generally see uh, three different styles of journeys. We'll see some you know students who enter our program, they're you know very very uh, what's the word very driven, uh, and they tend to start interviewing before the program even finishes. You know, we see up to a, a quarter of our students land new roles before they finish the program. That's awesome. Uh, it's so exciting. Uh, the, the second group are those who say, hey, you know what? I'm I'm done the program now. I feel confident. Now I'm going to dig into my, my job search. And they're working with our career coaches uh, immediately afterwards to help drive them and hit their interviews, apply to the right companies. There's practice interviews, workshops. Every month we run open workshops on uh, you know, how do you maximize your resume? How do you uh, reach out to recruiters on LinkedIn? How do you kill that interview? All that kind of stuff. And then our, our third group will actually right after the program step into one of our residencies and those are really great for folks who say hey i'm come out of the program and before i really dig into that job search i want some very real experience on my resume i want to be able to say here's what my conversion rate is here's how many calls i've made here's my performance and we'll run three-month internships with real companies doing real selling work where they're doing an sdr role on a three-month contract and they're paid for that work And they get very real, genuine experience on their resume. Sometimes they're hired by those companies, but other times they parlay it into the next role they actually want. And so that's a lot of fun for them. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Do you guys take, say people like myself, where kind of I'm working full time in a design role, and obviously I'm not necessarily directly selling or if I'm a developer or something, but well, objectively, I think... um, I'm not very good at selling at all, but I think you're always kind of selling yourself. Maybe you're not mm-hmm. selling a product, but you you kind of are selling a product even if you're not really on the sales team because you have friends and family and you're out and about. And I get you're not really networking right now, but like post COVID or even when you go to like a virtual conference or an in-person conference eventually, you are selling the company and what you're up to even if you're not on the sales team. Do, mm-hmm. do you take people like myself, or, or what? where are you guys at with people like me? Yeah,
0: absolutely, uh, and I mean, a bunch of things come to mind. I mean, first, I could think about one of our, our our most exciting recent students, he's been posting on LinkedIn, which is, I mean, as the CEO, I love it when our, our customers are talking about us, and he comes out of a design background, and it's been a, a fun change for him. Um, and so that subject matter area, yes, solid background. That idea of a, an executive, someone who's looking to build the skills, even if it's not their primary function, all the time. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of executives will say, this is something where I want to you know, hone my skills. And the fact that it is such a rigorous, consistent program is not just, hey, go you know, self-service, watch some videos, really helps build that skill. Um, the part that's really interesting is that we have such a variety. We have... We have some folks who've come right out of school who haven't gone to to university or college. We have folks who are approaching retirement, but they're not really ready to retire. They want to maintain and build their career. And the diversity within the class from an age, a background, an experience actually helps the students build a richer experience. Because when you're selling, you need to sell to all types of people and companies. And you get a chance to try that in
1: the class. No, that's that's actually really interesting. So i i land a job um how do i start paying you guys back or how does that kind of work
0: for sure so uh again like i said some of our students are are paying you know in advance like like they might tuition Uh, for those who are on an income share agreement uh they've made that decision at the beginning of their their enrollment once they land a role and our career team is there alongside them to to celebrate successes kick them off to, to a great start um once they land that new role, they start paying tuition and that's done as 10% of their, their base salary over 24 months. Uh, and if they transition or they, they lose that job or, or they decide they need to move into a new one, they can pause those payments as well. So we really try to make the career as accessible to everyone.
1: Okay, so is it a set amount then or it's a percentage of my salary? Or it is like if I pay it up front? Yeah,
0: yeah. if okay. you're paying it up front, it's a, a flat rate amount. Uh, so okay. it, if you're paying up front, it's five grand. If you're paying on the income share agreement, it's uh, 10% uh, of the
1: base salary over 24 months. Got you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so very affordable. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to get sales training cheaper, for right? Like arguably...
0: Well, I mean, I suppose you could, you know, drop a hundred bucks and and watch a couple of videos, but you're not going to get the same, uh, experience, the same network, that same, uh, kind of bespoke experience. You're absolutely right.
1: No, that that's great. So you've kind of covered it, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into the program successes and and some of the students, like you don't have to give names or company names or that kind of thing, but do you maybe want to share some success stories that have come out, uh, so far?
0: For sure, Um, it's so funny because when people hear about our program, they often start off with, uh, you know, how much do people make? How soon do they get a job? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and that's easy. I mean, our median grad lands a new role 17 days after they graduate. Oh, wow, that quick? It is, it's fast. Uh, Our our median salary increase is uh, just over two times what they were making before the program. Um, So great, get the stats out of the way. The parts that hit me personally are when I see people dealing with really like life throws curveballs. Uh, one of our students, he was in San Diego, driving a truck. So he's in logistics operations. He had moved to San Diego uh, from India, and due to changes in the visa process there, he was getting kicked out of the country. Oh wow! <laughs> like, can you imagine? You're you're driving a truck. You're in a new country. You're getting kicked out. And he's thinking, "Crap, where am I going to go?" And, On the one hand he's thinking maybe maybe i'll go to canada on the other hand he's thinking i need a different career Uh, and so in the middle of a global pandemic he enrolls in our program uh moves to toronto uh he's looking at jobs and and our career coaches did a great job like hey you know you're doing such a great job you can do better than these offers and so he holds off uh ends up winning our demo day championship lands a role with a company that attended it and you, you love this Success stories first month, four times quota, uh, Wow, just crushed it, so they'd lift his quota fifty percent, uh, and then he does three times quota so wow' it's, these kind of successes it's like, wow, helping somebody change their career, uh, adapt to their changing circumstances, but ultimately, you know really crush it in their new role. that's exciting
1: no that's that's really great, um very cool so. You mentioned kind of before we started recording, and I I think it's very important to cover you've hired kind of friends and family. And I think there's a bunch of advice, kind of the pros and cons of that. Do you want to talk about some of the pros and cons that you've experienced when, when doing that?
0: For sure. For sure. Uh, and I mean, any of our, our students, you know, see this really quickly. If folks Google us, they'll, they'll see, uh, both of my sisters work with Yuvaro. Uh, one's okay. a co-founder and our COO. Uh, one is one of our instructors, uh, and it, it's really easy to look at that and say, "Okay, it's a family business." Uh, the reality is, uh, anytime you're hiring friends and family, you have to have to double down on the rigor of your hiring process to avoid that kind of bias. And so, yeah, if you ask them, you'll you'll know they've both had the worst interview processes, the toughest ones you would <laughs> ever get. Um, the, the high points and the, the low points, I, I mean, the big benefit, the huge benefit is you gain so much trust, alignment, really high bandwidth communications. Uh, one of our co-founders, Derek, uh, we've worked together and co-founded numerous companies. He's a, he's a high school friend, uh, goes way back. He, he met his wife at my house in a high school at the time. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's deep, but. The great part is we can have a really quick, one minute conversation, and there's so much history and so much context. We know exactly what we're thinking, or are yeah, and you can move so fast, yeah. But it comes with huge challenges. I mean, even when it's succeeding, like it is right now, it causes a huge risk factor for others in the team. So our executive team, our top leadership team, uh, out of the five executives, you know, three of us have known each other for, I mean, like a couple of decades. That could be hard for others to to feel welcome or or feel um, you know involved. So we have to over index uh, on that inclusion. And then other times,, uh, especially if you do it early, you don't know what it takes to to avoid the mistakes. you can do things the wrong way. Um, the first time I'd hired a friend we we'd hired him as the first salesperson in my first company, and he was my roommate at the time, and he did a great job. He was really a fantastic salesperson very outgoing very engaging representing the company when we had no sales structure at all but when it stopped working i did everything wrong you know from things like you're gonna do this because i'm the ceo those kind of comments or right not even properly terminating him it was terrible we ultimately like i hate saying it but we effectively ignored him until he stopped coming into work it was wow. the worst way to manage somebody and I mean we were still roommates at the time too. Like, wow. Uh that was that was a tough process. Did you guys ever reconcile? Um, we've stayed in touch uh okay. loosely. We're in different cities now. I don't sure. think we ever fully uh repaired that dynamic and and it's tough. Uh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I think there's somewhere. We've had to go through that kind of a like a, a separation, and it's worked out okay. Uh, and with others, where where it hasn't. Sure.
1: So I'm curious, though, with friends and family. Not saying like you've taken money from friends and family. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't to like invest in a company or or start something up. Mm-hmm. But like, I think one of the biggest challenges with hiring friends and family or getting investment from a friends and family. Is the whole money situation right? Like even mm-hmm. what to pay them salary or bonuses or take investment? Like, what are your thoughts around that or experiences around that?
0: Um, yeah, that is such a good question. So, so first off, so that the listeners and you have the context, I have. I've taken you know money from friends and family. I've hired friends okay. and family. Um, I've lost the money that friends and family sure. have invested. Uh, so, and so I say this from having gone through it. I think it's really important as an entrepreneur to ask yourself the very difficult questions before you get into the situation and then hold yourself to it. Um, you know Things like, what are you going to do when, not if, but when you don't have the money in the bank to make payroll? Um, right. What are you gonna do when you look at the, the bank balance at the end of the day, something happens, the business closes and you can't return money to your investors? You have to ask yourself exactly what you would do and commit to it, before you're in the situation, because when emotions are high, it's really tough to make the right call. Um, for me, that looked like, yes, paying back family years after a business closed. Um, for me, that looked like when we sold the the most recent company, uh, tribe Hr, out of my own equity, my own take, dispersing that to employees or investors to, you can't see my fingers, but the scare quotes make right something right. that wasn't documented or cleared up earlier. And those were very easy decisions. And I never had an investor or a partner argue with those decisions, because I could speak about them with conviction, because I'd asked myself those questions before we got there.
1: No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. The other thing too, is, and you can tell me your opinion on this. It's like, you need to figure out if like the value of that friendship, right? Like sometimes no amount of money is worth risking a friendship, sometimes it is. I also think it really depends on the personality of like say me and you, like if I'm taking money from you and we've known each other for 20 years, for example, which we haven't, but like if Mm -hmm. we did, like the value of that friendship, like there's a chance that it could be fine, get better, but there's also a chance that it could, we never talk again, right?
0: and it's hard because until somebody's in those situations uh, so uh, for example uh people will think through hey if i ever get fired here's what i would do but if you haven't been in that situation you don't know for sure if you'll stick to those guns um and it's tough because even if you're if you're founding a a company with a friend if you're taking investment money from a friend or hiring a friend you can say all those things like hey this might not work out know how are you going to be how are you going to do this will we still be okay and everyone goes in with the best of intentions but people don't always know how they'll react and you can't hold that against them because it's these are tough situations and and tempers get hot and you know i've I've been on that receiving end i've invested in friends companies where they've had to call me up and say hey we're we're wrapping up the business and once it's all done we'll disperse the balance but it's going to be next to nothing uh and i'm sorry for that and it sucks. It really sucks. Sure. But you know, when they're on the other end, they're they're not actually worried about the money as much. They're worried about that friendship. And it's it's really important that you exercise those empathy muscles in those tough conversations.
1: Sure. But I also think, and you can, again, tell me if I you disagree, is like, if you're investing in a friend or family, you need to invest what you're willing to lose. Like, obviously, you want them to succeed. Like, mm-hmm. but... Like if you're going to like mortgage your house or like, you know, get rid of all your savings to invest in somebody, friend, family, or or even just like somebody you just met, you know, because they they have a good idea or you think they have a good idea. Like you need to be willing to lose that money and almost expect to lose it. And then if you get it back or you make money, you're you're going to be over the moon, right? Like that's kind of the mindset I've always had when, doing that kind of stuff do you agree or what are your thoughts
0: around that? 100 uh, percent. and in fact i'd go so far as to say if you're doing any kind of an investment in a startup whether it's friends sure. or family you, you got to be ready to to lose it so it's not for the faint of heart but also not for those who are going to mortgage their their entire life savings on it um I, I think you hit the nail on the head it's it's really about the expectation mismatch uh and i i shared that one example i'd invest in a friend's company and there's nothing coming out of it that happens um, sure on the flip side, if I think about the the investment or the money thing that's caused me the most stress or frustration, uh, it's where I had lent uh, another entrepreneur, uh, someone who I consider a friend, uh, who, and a much smaller amount. And it was one of those moments where they're they're saying, "Hey, I can't make payroll. I need to to borrow a bit of money to make sure we hit payroll. It's really just a couple of weeks. The biggest client, the government of Canada, is just late on getting the check to us." You know, can you can you a payroll and the understanding was a quick you know like one month loan
1: uh, sure.
0: and due to unforeseen circumstances it turned into a two and a half year multiple attempts to repay but failures and, and ultimately not getting it all back and yeah the dollar value was smaller than how much i usually invest but the mismatched expectations you know between what the intent was and what the outcome was that's where it causes the frustration and pain and so yeah on both sides being prepared to lose it and being honest about what you would do if you're going to lose it um, that's
1: important no that's that's actually really good advice um but we're kind of coming to the end of the show so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself Yuvaro, and any other links you want to mention
0: for sure. Um, people can always hit me up on social. I'm on most social media channels at Joseph Fung. Our program, our website is uvaro.com, U-V-A-R-O.com. And if people really want to know more about the program, our website's great. But we also toss a ton of our material, our our final demo competitions. We were just live streaming one right before the show uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, and it's, of course, youtube.com slash uvaro.
1: Perfect. Well, Joseph, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Have a good rest of your day, man.
0: Hey, thanks, Kevin. You too.
1: Thank you. Okay, bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.